Hey, you're listening to Can I Say That? with Brenna and Austin Blaine. Hey everybody. Hey everybody. Oh. I, I, it's quarantine. Oh, you, you want more to do? <laughs> We're doing I just, there's so much, there's like, there's so much to do, but at the same time, there's not enough to do. I feel like I drank three cups of coffee and I took a melatonin and they're fighting and it's like, do I do everything or do I do nothing? You're supposed to do nothing and be very content with the slowness in your life. Yeah, that's not going to work. That's not going to work for me. <laughs> okay, let's cut. Let's get to it. Okay. Uh, well, hello, everybody. Uh, this week on the show, we have our friend Sarah Moreau talking about pornography. And uh, why this topic this week? Well, I think... We all know that even as Christians, like Christians still struggle with pornography. And I think we're in a really interesting part in history where I think porn is starting to be maybe fought against more. I think people are starting to realize the the power that it has over your brain and just the rewiring and all of that, which Sarah talks a, l- a little bit about in our interview. But also, I think in a completely different side of things, I think there's it's starting to be maybe more socially acceptable. And so I did some research. I looked up some statistics and some quotes that I want to share with you guys before we get into the interview, just so we can have a little bit of a foundation before we head into this uh, conversation. So these stats right here are from the Barna Group. um, And this is actually from 2016. So we know that it's probably actually a little bit worse now. But this first one, this, it's about morality. So they said porn is a much more readily researchable topic than it was two decades ago. It's a subject that does not have the same social taboo that it once did. And just as a aside on my part, I think in some ways that's really good because I think we're able as a church and as Christians to talk about it and engage with this conversation more than we were. But It's really interesting because they said when respondents were allowed to opt out of questions of a personal nature, more than 90% continued through the surveyed questions, uh, indicating data reliability. So nearly half of young adults say that they have come across porn at least once a week, even if they weren't seeking that out. So we see pornography being pushed on a lot of social media platforms. Uh, Nearly three quarters of young adults, so that's 71%, and half of teens come across what they consider to be porn at least once a month, whether or not they're seeking it out. And then something else that I think was really interesting that they noted was actually about sexting, and I think a lot of people don't consider sexting to be part of what they would call or consider pornography, but I do think that sexting can make you more likely to fall into engaging with porn pornography. And so they said 62% of teens and young adults have received a sexually explicit image and 41% have sent one. And that's usually to or from their boyfriend or girlfriend or friends. When we're getting more into the the Christian realm in specific focus, most pastors, so this is 57%, and then youth pastors, 64% of youth pastors, admit they have struggled with porn either currently or in the past. 
So I think just looking at those statistics, it obviously gives us something to talk about, something that we need to discuss. It really is a problem and we know if you're not personally dealing with it, then I guarantee you, you know someone around you. Whether you actually know it or not, there is someone around you that is struggling with an addiction to porn. And then something else that I think Sarah really addresses well in this conversation is actually this kind of stigma around women and porn, specifically in the conservative evangelical realm of Christianity. So some stats that have to do with that is more than half of women 25 and under seek out porn. Okay. And then one third seek it out at least monthly. So that that's a pretty big deal. And then I came across an article entitled conservative Christians have a porn problem. And it was really interesting. There's a sociologist named Samuel Perry who did a bunch of studies and then wrote a book based off the studies. And there's this great quote in this article written about it his book, it says this, there's a double dose of pain for conservative Christian women who use porn, a topic that gets its own well-deserved chapter in Perry's book. In addition to extreme guilt about porn as it relates to their Christian faith, women also worry they violated one of the key codes of evangelicals gender ideology, which stipulates that men lead and women follow. Complementarian theology has no place for female lust or assertiveness. So women who are turned on by porn are considered bizarre, unfeminine aberrations. One fascinating point the book makes is that however strongly conservative Protestants condemn men's porn use, they also prop up a porn habit as part of a masculine gender identity. For women, there is only increased isolation. So I've definitely experienced this within the evangelical church that pornography is usually always a topic that is just focused on and targeted towards men, which leaves women in a really awful and isolating space. And so I'm really, really excited for you guys to hear what Sarah has to say today. And just one more thing before you jump in to this interview If you or someone you know is struggling with an addiction to porn, we have two great resources that Sarah recommended. The first is XXX Church, and the second is Fight the New Drug. So if you'd like the links to those, uh, go ahead and give us a shout out on Instagram. You can message us on Instagram, and we will send you the links for those, and we'll also post them in our Instagram bio this week. Okay, so has there been anything that you found with your time that you're able to do in quarantine that you weren't able to do before? So um, not especially. So I'm still going into work like normal uh, because I work at a homeless shelter. And so we're still operating our normal schedule and everything. And so I haven't had, you know, a ton of free time like a lot of people have. So I've been trying to, I mean, I have a little bit of extra just because I'm not doing, you know, social activities and stuff. So I've been trying to like pick up hobbies that I've thrown off to the side. Um, but nothing has been like reignited or anything during this extra time. So you haven't done any sourdough bread baking. I have not. Um, I 
love cooking in general. So I feel like I'm just doing my normal, normal amount of cooking, but I'm not a baker at all. So uh, yeah, I have no interest. <laughs> yeah. Every, every time I see a, a person post a picture of their bread, I'm like, great. That's another thing I have no desire to do. So you and I, I met you when I was actually a student. I think I was a senior in high school because you were one of the lead counselors at Tadmore Camp. And I'm wondering, can you just share a little bit with us about, you know, your walk with God growing up and then why you're here to talk with us today? Yeah, so um, I grew up in the church, uh, so both my parents are believers, and uh, I accepted Christ when I was a kid, but I think like a lot of people who do that, um, I really didn't understand the whole personal relationship with Jesus uh, thing until a lot later uh, in college, really, and working at uh, camp uh, in that ministry was a big growth period for me in that, and when I really began to grasp Uh, who God is and uh, kind of build my life around my identity in Him. And today I'm here to talk about my personal struggle with pornography, which is totally stepping outside of my comfort zone, by the way. Um, I've very briefly written about it and shared one-on-one with uh, a select few people, but being open and vulnerable about it like this is still really new to me. Well, I am super thankful for your story and your willingness to be vulnerable. And I remember I saw, I think I was, I follow you on Twitter and you had tweeted the, the piece that you had written a little bit about it. And I remember reading it and just feeling like, wow, this is the first time that I've seen a a woman who was a Christian be vulnerable about the subject. And I know so many people, um, so many women in particular have struggled with this, but don't feel like, you know, there's really an avenue to share. So I'm just wondering what, what is it like being a Christian woman who struggled with porn? Well, thank you for that. Um, But yeah, so I think being a woman struggling with porn, especially in the Christian world, uh, definitely has brought its own struggles and its own shame. And you know, it's so much more common for the church to address men when it comes to this issue, um, particularly in sermons. You know, it's almost always the case, or maybe a pastor will kind of throw it in as almost an afterthought and they'll be like, well, I mean, women can struggle with this too, but um, I know all men struggle with this personally or something like that. And so it kind of just brushes the issue aside for women. It makes us almost feel like the outliers. And so it really made me feel like I was abnormal for dealing with this sin as a woman. And even Even going back to purity culture and youth group and stuff and dress codes at Christian events, you know, no bikinis for women, no short shorts and all this stuff, but nothing for guys really to follow because, quote unquote, guys are so much more visual. And I would just have the thought like, surely I'm not the only girl who struggles with lust when she sees a shirtless guy or, you know, the only girl who... Uh, who really has this, um, these thoughts in my mind. And so I think it's just so ingrained in the Christian culture. Um, but the more open I become about my struggle, uh, the more common I realize it is for women too. And it's not just talked about like it is with men. Uh, I mean, I, I went to a Christian college and did camp ministry for several years. And I can't count how many guys I know who 
I've heard share about a struggle with porn, you know, while we're in big group settings, sharing testimonies. But I can only think of, you know, one or two girls I know who did that. But I know there are a lot of us because it comes out in more personal conversations. And the more I talk about it, the more I'm hearing other women say, yes, uh, I, I totally get that. And yet me too. And I think the church... So I think the church definitely gave the impression that us women struggling with porn are the outliers. And I think there's been a little bit more talk of it um, recently, but there's still a lot of work to do in that area. What was the moment for you that you were able to reach out and get help and be vulnerable? Yeah, so um, so honestly, it took me a really long time to even come to the realization and feel convicted that this was an issue in a sin struggle in my life. And I think probably because it didn't start that way. Um, I think with, as with many addictions, um, one thing slowly built on another until one day I really woke up to it and um, realized that this was an issue and a compulsion and um, not healthy at all. And it was actually during a class in college um, with one of my favorite psych professors that I really began to process all of this and come to the realization. Throughout the class, we had to do these, just like keep a weekly journal. Um, and I think that was really helpful for me um, because I process through writing usually. And um, I think had I not been forced to keep that journal for this class and focus on um, specific questions and topics, um, I don't think I would have started that process. I had never talked about this with anyone before. It was an entirely internal secret um, thing that I um, struggled with and I had really started to feel shame about. And so um, just writing about it and then actually giving this professor uh, permission to read some of those journal entries because he wouldn't read them unless we gave them to him and said he could. Um, so just giving him permission to read some of those and comment on them was a huge first step. And I went to a Christian university and thankfully this professor is a counselor and deals with this topic regularly. Um, and I didn't do any formal counseling or anything with him, but just being open in this very small way um, and reading the brief comments he'd leave uh, really encouraged me to keep processing it, uh, which I did. But it definitely wasn't... Um, that wasn't like the one and done, all right, I'm all good now um, thing. I continued to go back and forth and um, struggle with this for a few more years, really, uh, and mostly keeping it a secret, except from a couple of people. Um, but eventually, I just got to a point of such strong conviction from God uh, after trying and failing by myself so many times, and he um, he freed me from the weight of it and the sin itself. And just a side note, I really don't recommend necessarily doing it this way. Um, I think without actively seeking out uh, a counselor or a program of some sort, uh, but God truly worked on me enough that I was able to stop. But I think it would have been a lot easier if I had sought help from someone I knew and trusted. And now processing the shame of it all and um, kind of since being freed from the actual sin, I've definitely um, gotten help with because that's been its own thing. But initially it was that class and then just a ton of prayer, listening to God and following his lead that pulled me out of the active sin. 
So thinking back to your interaction with your professor and then maybe when you had those those honest conversations with your friends about it later on, what were some of the best things that they did for you um, in the midst of that struggle? Um, just just being accepting and non-judgmental. I was uh, so nervous to share with people. I was like terrified really to let anyone into that and just afraid that the perception people had of me would completely change if this came to light. And um, I had one friend from camp ministry who had um, shared about her struggle with this. And it um, took me a long time after that, but eventually I um, shared with her and just having that, um, knowing that she had gone through that as well and would understand was uh, was really helpful. And then just hearing that one person come at it without any judgment and just listening and being open to what I had to say. I think just that that initial person gave me kind of the boost of um, confidence, I guess, that I needed. And then slowly as I started to tell a few more people and uh, just one-on-one, I, I just kind of realized that this isn't something that, um, that makes me really abnormal or this isn't a huge deal. Like other people have gone through this as well. And so, um, it's made me, made it more comfortable talking about it. I'm still, you know, I still get nervous about it with some people, but, um, it's definitely opened up the conversation more. So you talked about it a little bit earlier today, just kind of this interaction with the church. And obviously we know the church is made up of broken people. And so we can't expect the church to engage with these issues perfectly. But one of the questions a listener of ours had was, in your opinion, is there a way that the church can address pornography besides saying, um, don't engage with it because it's wrong? Yeah, so I had to do a lot of thinking about this question because um, I think addressing the why is really important, um, like with a lot of things, but that may be different for each person. Um, But looking at some big objective facts, um, like the way porn totally rewires the brain, just like other addictions. And I work with an addictions recovery um, center. And so um, I myself am familiar with that side of things. And so approaching it with that understanding that it is an addiction and it does rewire the brain, I think really helps um, me understand that it's it's not just wrong because it's wrong. Like there's a reason um, it is. And then also just looking at how the porn industry itself um, is really terrible and linked to human trafficking. And it's just really full of hurting people. Um, I think that kind of stuff might put it into perspective for some people or having people share testimonies of how it has affected their lives and relationships because it does. Um, I know all too well that it can be really easy to tell yourself in the midst of the struggle that you're just fulfilling a physical need or desire and it's not harming anyone. But I think putting it in in a bigger picture and seeing others share how it actually does harm um, both themselves and um, relationships and just the broader um, sphere of that industry um, could help some people. Also, I think just saying it's wrong, don't do it, uh, totally shuts down the conversation about um, healthy sexuality altogether. 
um, because, you know, it's not wrong to have sexual desires in and of themselves. Um, yes, even as a single person, um, but this is certainly an unhealthy way to um, engage that. And we need to explain why um, and have those conversations about lust and biblical sexuality and um, all that kind of stuff. So I don't know if that's that's enough, because I think the why is such a, a big topic uh, in itself. So I know there are some people who, and I don't think we, we say this out loud enough, or, but I know there are some people who think, okay, in, in, within my marriage, within Christian marriage, if both partners consent to something, does that make it okay? And specifically the question is, um, do you think Christians who are married, if they both consent, do you think watching porn is okay in, in, in that sense? So uh, I don't, uh, I think for all the reasons I just mentioned, but uh, also because I think it just completely goes against the biblical foundation for sexual intimacy and marriage. Um, And I'm not married, so, um, you know, you can take my words as a single person, but I feel like it's just a few steps away from asking, uh, is it okay to bring a third person into your sexual relationship? And it's, you know, ultimately it's using something else other than your spouse to fulfill a sexual desire. Even if both of you are consenting and you're both there, it's bringing someone, even if it's virtually uh, someone else into that relationship. I think that is a very wise answer. So, We know from statistics that people start viewing porn at a very young age, and it's increasing with uh, the rise of technology. And I know I grew up um, maybe hearing about porn every once in a while within youth groups, but again, like you said, it was often targeted or focused on um, male consumption of porn. And I, another question we got was, should we separate genders like in youth group settings when talking about porn? Or do you think that furthers the stigma with girls and sex addictions? Yeah, I mean, the, I think the average age of porn exposure is even as low as eight or nine years old right now. So um, it's definitely uh, an issue uh, with kids, with teens. And I think the conversation should definitely start at home, first of all, um, you know, as as early as possible. And it shouldn't just be one conversation, but it should be a continual addressing uh, this issue with kids. And then when it comes to youth group, uh, you know, I hadn't really thought about the whole separating genders um, before this, but I think I would lean towards saying no, um, keep them together so that they can hear from the other gender Um, and especially leaders of both genders, uh, that this is an issue with both boys and girls. And it may help normalize it, uh, for lack of a better word, um, for the girls who are struggling with this. And it might help them feel less shame um, if they are in the midst of this. And just to hear another person Um, talk about it openly with both genders present. But I mean, I could see it argued from the other side too. But I think the biggest thing is just opening up that conversation without judgment um, for both genders and um, as an equal conversation and not just, yeah, just as an equal conversation. So I know you said earlier, you think that, 
you know, it's probably a really good thing that if someone is struggling with an addiction to porn, that therapy is a really good option. Do you have any other encouragement for those listening today who are maybe struggling with a pornography addiction or even maybe they're struggling with uh, like sexting or do you have any encouragement for them? Yeah, so um, I would just first of all encourage you in knowing that you are not alone in your struggle. And so don't suffer and struggle in this alone and know that you're uh, not messed up. Um, You're not dirty because you're struggling with this, which is something that I something that I felt about myself for a long time. And I would encourage you to reach out to someone, um, which I know can be terrifying at first. but I can guarantee you that you're not alone in your struggle. And so I would reach out to a close friend, a mentor, a leader you trust. Um, And if you don't know anyone like that, then there are a lot of resources to get help with this um, particular addiction um, or reaching out to a therapist. Um, And if that's too scary at first, you know, I just encourage you to start with prayer open your heart to God and he already knows your heart and your struggle. He still loves you. And so, and I think he really, he really wants to hear from us and hear our, our thoughts and our struggles. And just starting with that maybe might be a first step and then reaching out to one of the other people or resources that I mentioned. Okay. I'm going to put you on the spot to close, but I really want to know because I think God does such an incredible work in our lives through things that we have struggled with. Um, What has God taught you through this struggle? I think he, you know, he has just taught me really, it's been a, it's been an exercise in letting people in, which is something not just when it comes to this issue, something in general that I struggle with. And uh, I tend to, reach out to other people. And I am all about letting other people open up um, to me with their struggles. But I really fear that um, that sense of if people know my true self, then I won't be valued. I won't um, be wanted. And so um, he's really used this as a way for me to open up to people in my life and to rely on my community and to trust uh, people and know that they are not going to just ditch me as a friend because um, of something that I'm struggling with. And um, it's really just been an exercise in trusting him too and relying on him to take away temptation, to uh, meet me in loneliness or anything that I am struggling with, just turning to him first, because that's, you know, initially how how I broke free from this addiction was just turning to him and relying on his guidance and his word to pull me out of that. And so I think ultimately, it's just brought me closer to him and my identity in him and has challenged me to to continue doing that in whatever I'm going through, whether it's a small issue or Um, something really big like this. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you want to learn more about Can I Say That? Our guests on the show or submit questions and participate in polls, please join us on Instagram at Can I Say That Show? 
We love interacting with our audience and hearing how this show has affected, changed, and challenged you in your own walk. So please join us.